Well, I had enough uh, positive response from last week that I thought I'd continue on where we left off from the our political sermon. It's, it was preached. I, I, the guy's name was Daniel Foster. I forgot his name last week. Who preached this message, or preached his version of this message, and it was basically when our country was brand new. It was 1790, May 26, 1790, and it was in Boston, Massachusetts, where basically the entire Massachusetts government was there at church. John Hancock was the governor, Samuel Adams was lieutenant governor, and they had this, that those two and the state council and the, the state senate and the state house of representatives, and it was on election day. So it was, it was a political sermon on election day, and if you remember, he started out his sermon basically saying that he wasn't a political leader. And he had no desire to be a political leader, but as a humble representative of God, he wanted to encourage the political leaders to submit their lives to God and to run the government according to the principles of the Bible, because that's the only way that you can have a good government, because without God, there is no order. Without the lawgiver, there's no law. Without the, the, the one who grants wisdom, there's no wisdom. Ultimately, societies that have walked away from God have fallen apart. And we've seen it happen down through the ages over and over again. And, and that's what will happen to ours if we continue on a path of turning our backs on God. But it was a long time ago that it was preached. And, it's, and it really, I've, I love some of these really old sermons that, that really get to the point and they don't bounce around the issue. They just hit right on. And it was it was very early on in our country when we were brand new and, and people were preaching about the government and telling them that they needed to live for God. And, and even though there was an idea in the Constitution, obviously, there was the right after they passed the Constitution, they added the Bill of Rights. And the First Amendment was that we should have the practice, to, the freedom to practice our religion and not be hampered by the government and not be told by the government what we're supposed to believe or how we're supposed to worship. We wanted the freedom to worship God as we are led by the Holy Spirit and not as we are led by some government. And there were churches that were worried that the government was going to step in because states, some states had their own state religion. I mean, it was Christian, but it was some denomination of Christianity. And they had come from England where there was a state church, the Church of England. And if you went against that, you were in violation of the law. And so there were churches in early America that were worried that the government was going to step in and tell them, hey, this is how you're supposed to worship. You need to follow our rules, our doctrine. And they, they um, wrote and, and were concerned about that. And so they got a letter that said, no, the, the idea is that the government stays out of your business as a religion, that there is a sep- there's a wall of separation to keep the government from interfering with your worship. And of course, we've reinterpreted that letter to take it completely out of context as a society and have said, no, we need to get the church out of government when it was really the other way around. And this was all the way back when, when this sermon was preached. George Washington was, was president. He gave the first State of the Union that year in 1790. The same year, the, the Supreme Court convened for the first time in 1790. There was all the way back in that in that early America, they were already fighting against slavery. There were people, there was a couple of Quakers who had petitioned the government to abolish slavery. So we were already trying to get slavery out of our system. And then um, Thomas Jefferson became Secretary of State. Uh, Rhode Island was the last of the 13 states to finally ratify the Constitution. And that happened in 1790. The, The site for the District of Columbia was established by Congress. So the Washington, D.C. was established in 1790. So that's when all this stuff was happening is when this guy preached this sermon. And his scripture was from Proverbs 8. It was just verse 16, his his, um, scripture for the message, which says, By me, princes rule, and nobles, and all who judge rightly. Which is obviously talking about God. Um, This is, it speaks with the name of wisdom because it's in Proverbs, but it's obviously Jesus Christ who's, who's the I in here and because he's called wisdom in other parts in scripture so we know this is talking about jesus but i'll read a a larger section it says proverbs 8 i'll start at verse 12 
says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine. And sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. And I really like that that second section because it's talking about how true blessing, true wealth, true goodness only can come from God. That's why everything we have comes from God. Everything good that we've ever experienced is because of God's blessings. We were, we were once, we're still up there pretty high, but we're, we've lost some of our footing, but we were once the richest and freest and basically the most respected country in the world at a time. And the rest of the planet flocked to the U.S. because they wanted freedom and they wanted the opportunity that was offered and the ability to grab a hold and hold on and build something out of their life. And there was opportunity for people to escape religious persecution and governmental persecution. There was opportunity for anybody to come and didn't matter where you came from or what your background was or how much money you started out with, that you could make something out of nothing because there was opportunity available in the United States. And, and anybody who was willing to work hard could come over and not only make their own life better, but in the process helped to make the nation better because as they built their own businesses and as they expanded their abilities and, and gained knowledge and built systems for, for education and service and all the things that they did, they made the nation better. They contributed by making themselves better. It was this benef- mutually beneficial system when people came over from all over the world and helped to build the nation. And and they could make a life for themselves. And and through blood and sweat and tears, they could earn something to call their own. And to say, this is my little piece of the pie. This is I get a piece of property, and the government respects property rights. So this is my property, and I can build it, and I can expand it, I can make business, I can build a home, I can have territory to work in. And, and it, was, it was freedom, and they had life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they had the ability to own something and to call it their own. And they didn't have to worry about the government coming in and taking what they had built. And so immigrants came. And they built railroads and they built bridges and highways and skyscrapers and they created businesses and, and corporations and schools and colleges and churches and hospitals. And, and this nation became great because of the sacrifices of people who were willing to make in order to better themselves, in order to better their families, in order to, to better their, the lives of their neighbors. And they fought to end slavery. And they, they fought to grant all men and women the chance to be their own masters and to have control over their government rather than the other way around. And the attitude in society today has kind of flipped a little bit. Well, it's flipped a lot. It's, it's almost on that, that ethic of working hard to get something, to, to build something, for yourself, which benefits the people around you, that, that has, it's flipped on its head. Now people expect, instead of expecting to build what's around them, they expect what's around them to build on them, to take care of us. We, we want somebody else to worry about running the country. We want somebody else to worry about doing all the hard thinking. You know, Maybe we'll go to the ballot box and vote. Actually, some of us will. Like the president talked about here in the two-thirds that didn't vote. You know what those two-thirds said? I don't care. That's what they said. I don't care. You take care of it. Let the government deal with it. I don't want to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. And that's a prevailing attitude in the country. Let somebody else, even the people who vote, I'll go to the ballot box, but once I pick somebody, I want them to take care of it. I'm not going to call them or write them letters or deal with it. I just just take care of it. Somebody else do that work for me. And that's a totally different attitude than the people who gave up their lives and gave up their fortunes to be able 
to be in charge of their own lives. They were willing to sacrifice everything in order to have control over their own government, over who's running their lives and how they're running them. And they wanted, today, some, we want somebody else to take care of us. We want somebody else to take care of our, our, our kids. We send our toddlers off to daycare and then to preschool and then to grade school and then to college. I mean, it's amazing how little interaction we have with our own children. That Somebody was telling me that the only biblical type of education is homeschooling. Because parents were told, teach this to your children. You know, when they escaped Egypt and they went into the land of Israel and God gave them the laws, He said, you teach your kids this stuff. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you go out, when you come in, every chance you get, you teach your children. And that's how they're going to learn. And, and we've kind of forgotten that some. And we've allowed somebody else to deal with educating our children. We don't, there's a lot of parents that don't even pay attention to what their kids are learning. They have no idea. And the sad thing is, it's hurt our education system. Our, there's so many kids that graduate high school that don't know how to read. And that's pitiful. We've lost our, we used to be the country that led the world in education. And now we're falling far behind. And it's a sad state of affairs. And we want somebody else to, to take care of our, our needs. We want somebody else to pay for our groceries and our medical expenses and our housing and our retirement. And, and, and that's an, I'm not speaking of any particular group of people. I'm talking this is a prevailing attitude of the entire nation. We want somebody else to take care of us. Somebody else owes me a living. People today figure they're entitled to wealth and prosperity. You know, back in the, in the old days, people worked for prosperity. For the first time in, in the history of the world, we had a, a big middle class. And that was basically people who started from nothing. You know, a lot of people were rich because they were born into wealth. Their family had wealth, and that was the way of the world. There were really rich people and really poor people. And the rich people were born into it. It was passed down from family to family, and so there was always this rich social or ruling class. And then there were all the poor people. And America was the first nation, the first place in the world where a middle class built up who were, and they were people who were poor, but they were able to build wealth so that they were basically equal to the rich people. But they had built their wealth. They didn't get it handed down to them. And that's what the middle class was, is people who had built up their own wealth. And, and the idea was, I worked my tail off and that's how I got this. And I worked my tail off and I want my, my family to benefit and I want my my business to benefit and I want my neighbors to benefit because of, of my work and it's my prosperity. And today we want somebody else to hand us prosperity. And it's, not, it, it's, it's gone for a matter of, of being willing to work hard and make sacrifices to earn a living. It, and now it's all about covetousness and selfishness and thinking that somebody else, you know, if, if somebody else is rich or some corporation has a lot of money, you know, society today thinks that the rich should be forced by the government to hand over their wealth so that everybody else can have a piece of it. You know, if, if that we have that kind of a, a tax system. If the, the more money you make, the higher percentage is taken away from you and distributed to everybody else. And that's the prevailing attitude of society. And it doesn't, you know, ultimately, there are, there's principle that we should watch and we, we don't want people to get rich doing bad things. We don't want people to get rich taking advantage of, of things they shouldn't or lying or stealing or cheating, which a lot of people do. But that doesn't make it right to steal from them. And there's, there's, just because it's, it's, it's a government taking the money and redistributing it on your behalf doesn't make it right. If you can't go to your neighbor's house and steal from them to buy your groceries, then it's wrong to have the government do it for you doesn't matter how they got their money. It's not right for us to break the moral code of theft. And, and we do that in our government because we have this attitude of somebody else needs to take care of me. And I'm not saying that's you particular, but that's the prevailing attitude of society. And, and you know, we forget about drive and motivation and a desire to succeed. And we think, you know, there, and you've heard the... the the minimum wage argument that's around today. I want to get $15 an hour for flipping burgers. You know, if I want to make $50,000 an hour pushing carts into the grocery store, I should get you know, $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 for pushing carts into the grocery store. 
when I was, I mean, it wasn't all that young ago, long ago, when I was a teenager, and I got a job, and they paid me something like $3 an hour, I expected that because it was a job that anybody could do, and I knew that I didn't need to take care of, I didn't need to buy an apartment for myself, um, you know, flipping burgers at a fast food restaurant or pushing carts into a store or those kind of entry-level jobs. I just needed somebody to give me some experience so that I could move on to something more worthwhile, more useful of my education. I wanted to grow my skill. I wanted to grow my education. I wanted to be able to do more than just flip burgers. And that's where I would make the money. And, and then today we've got this attitude that the first job you get should be able to buy you a house and buy you a couple cars and pay for your cable TV and, and all the amenities. We want now what our parents spent decades earning. And, and that's kind of the attitude. In the old days, this nation was the Second Thessalonians 3.10 society. And if you know what that means, it's if you weren't willing to work, then you didn't eat. And the attitude is totally different. Now we're a country that robs from anybody willing to work in order to subsidize those who are not. You know, Jesus commands us to take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans and the people who can't take care of themselves. That's a command in Scripture. But that doesn't mean we pass the job on to a representative for us to take care of. First of all, it's not the federal government's job because it's not in the Constitution. Their job is clearly laid out by the Constitution, and today they're doing a lot of things that they shouldn't be because it's not in the Constitution. And one of those things is welfare. The government, the federal government, is not allowed to redistribute wealth. They're doing it anyway. But that's supposed to be our job personally. We're supposed to be willing to share our, the resources that God has blessed us with. That's why God blesses us, so that we can bless others. So we are commanded to share our resources to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. But we've handed it off to a 300 million person bureaucracy so that everybody gets stamped with a one-size-fits-all system and that allows people to take advantage of it and people who can work and who can take care of themselves and, and who can make a living but refuse to because they can live off the, the system. And it's a bad system. But uh, So how did that happen? How did, what, what changed? How did this attitude go from what it used to be where I was willing to, people were willing to sacrifice everything for the good of the nation. People were willing to take care of those around them. People were willing to work hard to build themselves up and build their own families up and take ownership over their lives and say, I'm responsible for the future. I'm responsible for my life. I'm responsible for the decisions I make. I'm responsible for feeding my family and for taking care of myself and for building business and prosperity and for gaining property. And now, and change that attitude to somebody else is responsible to take care of me. How did that change? Well, in a nutshell, we started worshiping ourselves as a society. We, started, we stopped giving deference to God. We started taking God out of the system. We started removing God from government, removing God from school, and removing God from social life, and started seeing ourselves as the royalty. Instead of worshiping the king of kings, we started worshiping our, our own wants and our own needs. See, when you're a king, you want to live like a king. And you expect everybody else to serve you because kings have servants and slaves and people who, who run and take care of their every needs. When a king commands, somebody jumps and takes care of that command. So if you're the king, then everybody else is subject to your rule. So why shouldn't the government who works for you fulfill your wants and needs? The problem with that idea, though, is that Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate king, and we are all his subjects. And, and the, as the church, we are Christ's body. Jesus is the head, and we are to submit to his rule. And he has commissioned us as ambassadors, as representatives of his kingdom, to take the good news of Jesus around the globe. And it's a peaceful mission. We aren't out there to conquer nations through violence. We're out there to spread the good news and to conquer people with kindness, to conquer people with the love and grace of Jesus. And we should do our best. We should be working as hard as we possibly can to reach as many people as we can because one day it's not going to be so peaceful. One day God is going to come where He's going to decide that there's been enough diplomacy. He's, he's given enough patience and time for people to, to, to 
change their minds and one day there will be war. And, and the people who refuse to sub- submit, the kings who refuse to turn to God, the people who make themselves king, who refuse to, to submit to the Lord are going to have some big problems. I read this passage last week. I'll read it again. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, at verse 20. It says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as Adam and in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end. So we painted this picture of Jesus is the one who gave up his life so that we could find salvation. And Jesus is the one who's who's coming first, and then all those who trust Him are going to follow after. And then comes the end. And this is what happens at the end in verse 24. When, the hand, when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when He has brought to an end all rule and all authority and, and power, for He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. So Jesus came, we talked about this last week, Jesus came 2,000 years ago on a rescue mission to bring grace and peace into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. He wanted to give. He didn't want people to die and to suffer and to be separated from Him in hell for eternity. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to repent and come to Him and have a relationship with Him. But we're free to make our own decisions. And there are going to be some people who choose not to submit their lives to Jesus, who refuse to accept that grace and refuse to turn their lives around because... They want to live according to the desires of their flesh. And they've said, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to worship myself instead of you. And so there's going to come a point where God says enough is enough and is going to put right where he's going to take care of the people who refuse to do that. And he's going to conquer kings and conquer kingdoms and rule with an iron rod. And he's going to put all his enemies under his feet And when he's accomplished this and the world is in order and all evil has been wiped off the face of the globe, then he's going to hand the keys over to God the Father and say, my mission is accomplished, God. I came to save the world and those who refuse to be saved, I've rid the world of and now it's a perfect kingdom and it's yours to rule. And all this implies that that rule and authority among men that, that we've been given for this time since Jesus came We've been handed the keys to our own government. He says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom right now, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So right now, you're in charge. So run the world according to the way I've commanded you to run the world. You have been given great authority. And our authority right now is civil government. So countries all around the world have their own government. And and it's supposed to be a divine appointment. God says He's the one who ordains leaders. He's the one who ordains kings. That, that rulers and kings and queens and presidents and whatever rule by God's ordaining. And so Christ, Jesus Christ is in charge of the world and He's kind of given us authority to rule under His name. And for the moment, he uses people as his civil ministers on earth. That He's allowed others to, to kind of run things. A few of them actually obey his will and follow through on their ordination and do what they've been called to do. A few people actually obey Jesus. A lot more today reject his counsel and reject his rule. But day is, a day is coming when all that will be put to an end. When all societies around the world will obey the Lord or be cast into outer darkness. And basically, all the evil governments on the earth, well, all the gov- yeah, all the evil governments on earth are temporary. The ones who do obey God will be allowed to continue, but the ones who refuse are going to be gone. So as a society, we ought to keep that in mind. We ought to be thinking that the, what God says is what the way we need to live. We ought to be living for the Lord and not for ourselves, because if we don't live for the Lord, America's gone. And it's going to be replaced with something else. And, and the moral law that God laid out for us to live by is just as applicable to, to us as a government, as a society, as it is to us as individuals. If, if you, Like I said, if you shouldn't rob your neighbor to buy your groceries, then you shouldn't use your government to do so. 
You know, anything that you can't do morally as an individual, it's wrong to have your government do it on your behalf. Just because it's a bigger organization or somebody with a, a government label or a government badge doesn't make it right for, for them to do. And so we need to live lives that are self-controlled, fruitful lives as individuals and society. We need to go back to that attitude, that ethic of I'm responsible. I'm responsible for my choices. I'm responsible for my words. I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible for my household. I'm responsible for my church. I'm responsible for my company. I'm responsible for my community. I'm responsible. It's my job to to make this a better world. I have been assigned by God to transform the world around me. He's transformed me, and I've been assigned to go out and transform the world around me. And I'm responsible for this world because Jesus put the keys in my hand as a member of the church, as a member of His church, Jesus has told me I'm in charge of running this world. And so I'm responsible and I need to take care of it. And I need to take care of my family and I need to take care of my church and I need to take care of my community. And, and that's how that's the attitude that we need to have. And if we, if we, as a society, have that attitude and we're living for God and we're living moral lives and we're living self-controlled lives, everything goes great. I mean, you, you just... If you love the Lord and love your neighbor, which are the two highest commandments, that all the law rests on those two commandments, then everything else works out because you're taking care of the people around you. You're taking care of your family. You're taking care of your society. You're obeying God. You're not stealing. You're not robbing. You're not lying. You're not cheating. You're not doing evil things. And so society prospers naturally because we're living for the Lord. And that's the way God designed it. And that's the way the founding fathers designed their government. We said we, They said, We want a government that is modeled after what the Bible says because that's the best way to bring prosperity because all blessings come from God. There is no blessing that doesn't come from God. So if we want blessings, we're going to have to align ourselves with the one who gives blessings. And if you get out of alignment with the one who gives blessings, guess what you get? No more blessings. You wind up cursed. And that's what we see happening in our society. As we push God out the door, and get them out of our government, and get them out of our schools, and get them out of our workplaces, and get them out of our society, we lose God's blessing. And so we need to get back to God's blessing, and we're the ones, the church is the ones who are in charge of that. The church are the ones who have been charged to go out with the Great Commission and to make disciples, to baptize people, and to teach them to obey Christ's commands. That's what Jesus told us to do. And I read a great quote this week. It said, If you really knew God, you would know that the last thing He wants is to be be is in control. He's in charge, but He's not in control. Why? Because if God was in control of your life, you wouldn't have any freedom. You'd be controlled. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So God doesn't want to control our lives. He wants to teach us how to be mature. God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want pre-programmed computers that do exactly what He's programmed, He created us in His image to be free, to be able to choose for ourselves, and He wants us to choose the good things because that's what's best for us. He wants us to choose to live for Him because that's what will bless us and bless Him and bless the people around us. He wants us to decide to be good because you can't force somebody to be good. You can't force somebody to love you. I mean, you can throw somebody in a cage or you can you know, tie somebody up, but that doesn't force them to be a good person. People have to choose for themselves to be good. People have to choose for themselves to love God and to love their neighbor. And so our job is to present the, the transforming love of Christ, which tr- has transformed our hearts. Hopefully He's transformed your heart. Which then makes you a good person because you've modeled yourself after God's goodness and, and thankfulness and gratitude because of His grace. And So the idea of freedom, of liberty, of living without bounds is an extremely biblical idea because it's a self-controlled freedom. We we put our own limits on ourselves because we know that when we step outside the moral limits that God has set, it hurts people. It, It hurts us. It kills our souls. It destroys our families. It destroys our neighborhoods. It destroys everything around us. And, and, And the role of government is not to take care of all our needs. It's not to feed us or to clothe us or to, to 
give us money, the role of the government is to provide an environment where we are free to live God's life. It's to provide a safe place for us to do what we're called to do. Not to, to give us all the stuff that we want, but to give us a place where we can make good out of what God has blessed us with. And, and where people can make something of themselves. Where we can invest the talents and the, and the blessings that God has given us. That was the, the parable of the master who gave his servants money and went away and came back and the servants who had invested what the master gave them were rewarded and the, servants who buried in the servant who buried it in the ground was cast out. And God is the one who blesses us and says, now make something of it. I've given you this. I've given you your talents. I've given you your, your resources. I've given you your abilities. Now make something of it for the kingdom. Make something of yourself and make something of this kingdom. You're in charge. Make this world a better place. Make my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray for that and we participate in it. Our, our civil rulers need to remember that they hold their commission and their authority under Christ. A lot of them don't remember that. But it's the truth whether you accept it or not. Jesus doesn't control what form of government that we use. He doesn't tell us which people we have, you know, choose or are assigned to rule over us and govern us. And you can tell that by what a lot of people vote for these days. A lot of people vote for things that are anti-God and anti-biblical um, values. And, and in that sense, His kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom and, and we're allowed to to veer away from what God has ruled because we have free will. But Christianity, true Christianity, enforces the laws of nature and nature's God. Like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution support the idea that we uh, belong to God and He's the one who blesses us. And so, as Christians, we're supposed to follow after the natural laws that God has set out. And that's what our Declaration of Independence was based on. In fact, each of the original colonies, all the 13 colonies that turned into states, they all confirmed that in their own constitution. Because every state had its own state constitution. And every one of those state constitutions says, basically, we belong to God. He's the one who we rule by His permission. And so we need to submit ourselves to His authority and we need to run our government based on what God says. And they said that explicitly in all of them. It says that in the state constitutions. And then after that, I think pretty much every other state that as they became a nation, all 50 states said something along those lines that we are here because of God's blessing and so we're going to write our... Um, and they've all kind of drifted away from that over the years, but when they started out, they had the right attitude. And so whether... So people have to choose liberty. You know, they, we have to choose whether or not we want to keep that freedom. God gave us the free will and, and you know, the government that the mode of government and the people that we put in charge of it is up to us as people to choose. And, and it's left up to the wisdom of men. God gave us free will because freedom is not something that you can force on someone. So people have to choose liberty for themselves or not. We have to choose whether we want to have a free society where we're able to live our lives for God or whether the government comes in and tells us what to do and how to run our lives according to their will. So we decide for ourselves whether to have independence or to live in dependence. And whether to work to maintain the freedom that we've been given or to have somebody else take care of us on, on their behalf. And once people agree on a form of government and they vote and they choose leaders to govern them or somebody moves in and takes over because they have more power. And once we pledge to obey the government or, and, and to support it or, or somebody forces us by the point of a gun to do their will, the Bible says even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. That's Galatians 3. So we, we, we make constitutions. We write our laws and we say this is how we're supposed to live. And, and we're going to plan by that and people don't screw around with it if they're following God. But when we walk away from God, those documents, the Constitution becomes a living document and nobody really pays attention to what it says. In our states, the ruler, in our country and our states, the ruler is called to office by the voice of the people. And they get sworn in and once they're sworn in, it becomes 
their, their rule becomes an ordinance of God. It's supposed to. And, and they receive their authority from God. And like Jesus says in our Scripture reading today, He says, it is by Me that rulers rule. By Me, presidents preside and legislators legislate and judges judge. By My will, you're given that power. Because ultimately, I'm the one in charge. And so you should submit to Me. And when Scripture calls us as the people, as the citizens, to obey civil rulers because the powers that be are ordained of God, we shouldn't forget that the methods by which the leaders came to power and how they use that power once they have it will reveal whether or not a ruler is leading by God's authority or not. Because leaders can choose to accept or reject that ordination. They can choose to submit to God's will and rule by Christ's authority or to walk away from it and rule by their own authority. Well, you know, so we can tell by their behavior by what they do, what they say, whether they have actual power from the Lord or whether they have usurped that position in defiance of the King of Kings. If they rule for God and for the good of the people, if they follow that moral code of God, then we the people are subjected to that power and we are commanded to submit and obey those authorities. But if they rule against God, and against His will, then, as Peter and the other apostles declared, we ought to obey God rather than men. So when the government tells you to do things that are against God and reject God, then God says, you follow me instead of the men who have rejected me. And women. And, and, and even when we're beaten and taxed and imprisoned and the government uses everything it can to try to force you to submit to an earthly rule, you're still supposed to follow God, just like the disciples did. They were beaten and they were taxed and they, were, they tried to force them to submit to government authority rather than Jesus Christ. And they said, no, we, have to, we, we count it an honor to be beaten in the name of our Lord. And so we're going to go on and preach His name and preach His good news. And as ordained rulers and ministers of Christ, it is the duty of government leaders to uphold the kingdom of Christ. And Romans 14 kind of describes that. It says it consists of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That ought to be the ultimate end of any government for us to live that way. And, and, and after all, no politician can actually promise you anything. Politicians make promises all the time, but none of them actually have the power over nature to guarantee anything they're promising. None of them. They can get elected into office and die the next day. And that's happened in some cases. No politician has the power to grant you promises and to give you blessings. And if you believe that any politician these days has the power, much less the honesty, to follow through on their campaign promises, then I've got some wonderful beachfront property to sell you. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that people actually believe what politicians tell them, not only because they're, so many of them are so dishonest, but because they don't have the power. Because where does the power come from? From God. All blessings and all power ultimately come from God. And that's why we need to make our commitment to Christ higher than our commitment to country. And a good, a good relationship with God is the glory of any people because only God can ensure the favor and protection of heaven. Only God can make promises that He can keep. And, and, and under the Old Covenant, the Ark of God which is what had the Ten Commandments in it that contained the laws of God. That was the token of God's presence in among the people. That was their defense. They said, this, is our, this God is with us. He's living in this, by this box. And this is what gives us power. This is what protects us. This is what gives us blessings. Not the box, but the fact that God's presence has been promised to be with us when we, as we have this and live by His Word. And uh, Eli... He was a judge. You could call him a governor, I guess. And in 1 Samuel, and he, there was a battle against the Philistines and he had two sons that were in this battle against the Philistines and they both died. And runners were sent. Messengers came and they told him. He was sitting at the gate and they told him his sons had died and he kind of took this, the news with fortitude. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas and they had been killed and, and he heard that and he kind of went on with it. And, and then the Ark of the Covenant, which they always took into battle, 
was stolen by the Philistines. They were beaten in battle and, and they had kind of turned their backs on God, so God allowed them to be defeated. And the Philistines got away with the Ark of the Covenant. And when the runner came back to announce that news, Eli fell and died. He heard the news of the covenant and he fell off his chair and broke his neck and, and he died on the spot. And his daughter heard about the news. And when she heard what happened to her, his daughter-in-law, when she heard what happened to her husband and her brother-in-law and, and the Ark of the Covenant, she doubled over. She was pregnant. She doubled over. She gave birth to the grandson of Eli. And she refused to be joyful about it. She refused to be comforted that she just had a baby boy. And she named her son Ichabod. And the name Ichabod literally means inglorious because the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. So she heard the ark had been stolen and she named her son inglorious because Israel had lost their glory because the presence of God had been taken away from them. Under the, under the new covenant, the gospel, which is where we live under, and, and all its ordinances, that's our glory and defense. The gospel is our protection. The gospel is, is our power. And, and as our government leaders are honored by Christ, as, as they're given position and they're given power to rule, when they act under His banner, when they follow His will, they should be careful to operate under, under that, that glory, under the gospel. They should obey the gospel. They should preach the gospel and, and, they should su- and, and support the religion of, of Christianity. And, and all men should should live according to the principles that the gospel lays out, that Jesus commands, you know, to have piety, to have virtue, to, to have morality, to live your lives well because God has, has called you to do so. But no one needs that more than the people who are called to rule and govern. I mean, all of us ought to be living lives for God, but the people who are in charge need that the most. Biblical Christianity dignifies and enables the mind. When you, when you walk away from God, your mind is darkened. And, and life turns sour. And things go bad. And society falls apart. But, the, but Christianity refines and purifies the mind. and refines and purifies the heart. It enables men to show their worth. And, and that worth shines with peculiar luster in a Christian leader. Someone who stands forward as a leader of a, of a town or society or nation, as a Christian leader, they shine before the world because they're reflecting God's glory. And today, there's very little honor in politics. And this is why. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, For I, God, will honor those who honor me, but those who despise me will be cursed. And King Saul was supposed to live that way, but he, it was lost on King Saul. He, he, he still wanted the effects. He still wanted the blessings. He still wanted the, the, the glory. Saul had disobeyed God and God sent the prophet Samuel to announce the end of the king's rule. And when, when Samuel went and told Saul that the kingdom would be taken away from him because of his disobedience, this is what he's, it happens in 1 Samuel 15, 27. says, Saul grabbed the edge of his robe, of Samuel's robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to one of your colleagues who is better than you. The preeminent one of Israel does not go back on his word or change his mind, for he is not a human being who changes his mind. Saul again replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. So he still wanted the glory and he still wanted the honor without having to submit to God. But God says it doesn't work that way. The only way to have the presence and the blessing of God on our leaders and on their administration and on our land is to have solid Christian leaders. That's the only way to get blessings. And the only way we're going to have solid Christian leaders is if we have a solid Christian society. And the only way we're going to have a solid Christian society is if the church goes out into society and transforms it. That's what we're called to do. When you vote, less important than party affiliation or political policies or how many yard signs there is, is... Do the people that you're putting in charge have the image of God within them? Are they living for the Lord? Have they been transformed by the grace of of God? Are are their lives directed by the Holy Spirit? Or are they directed by the Spirit of this world? Because there's there's one way or the other. There's no middle ground. Ultimately, that will determine everything else. 
And if you want political leaders, people who represent society, who are Christian men and women, then you need Christians who they represent. I mean, they're going to be just like the people they represent. And so if we don't have a Christian nation, we're not going to have Christian leaders. If you want Christian leaders, you've got to have a Christian nation. If you want a Christian nation, then the church has to get to work and make a Christian nation. Ultimately, that will determine everything else. If Christ is not honored and supported by those who are charged with the public trust, the glory of the Lord will soon depart. And we've seen that happen. And the curse of God will spread over the land. And we've seen that in our own lifetimes. We've seen the blessings disappear. We've seen our prosperity disappear. We've seen our education disappear. We've seen morality disappear. We've seen death and murder and, and crime and incarceration skyrocket. We're number one in incarceration. We have 5% of the world's population living here and 15 to 20% of the world's incarcerated people. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much crime and criminals we have created through our removal of God from society. Psalms calls godly leaders the shields of the earth. The leaders who actually submit to God and obey Him are the shields of the earth. And their job is to protect people from harm in society. That's part of the role of government. is to protect people from the murderers and the thieves and the liars. And to, and to get them separated from society so the people who are willing to live good lives in freedom can do so. And live good and honest lives. And, and have fair business and fair trade and that kind of stuff. They're also to protect us from the judgments of God. They're supposed to stand as our representative for God. They're supposed to, when, when God's wrath was kindled against Israel because they made a golden calf to worship at the foot of Mount Sinai, you remember when Moses went up the hill and they got tired of waiting, so they melted their jewelry and made a golden calf and started worshiping this cow. Moses is pleading on behalf of the people. And he says, wait, wait, he makes his case upon the, on God's covenant. He says, no, these are your people, your promise. Your, you said that you would carry them through. If you don't do it, it's going to hurt your name, God. And so Moses stood in the, in, and reminded God of his own oath. And God relented. And then King David. When, when King David sinned, rather than the people, and his kingdom was cursed because of his own disobedience, and an angel began to destroy the people with a plague, David cried out to God on behalf of his subjects. He said, look, they're not at fault. Look, it is I who have sinned and done this evil thing. As for these sheep, what have they done? Attack me and my family. I'm to blame. I'm responsible. I'm the leader. I'm in charge. It was my sin. Deal with me. Which one of your politicians would pray that prayer today? That's the kind of leader that you want. The shield of the earth. The attention that Christian rulers pay to Jesus Christ in their hearts and in their government will will be their support, will be their glory when they're called to lay down their commission and, and let somebody else take over, or even when they're called to lay down their lives in defense of their own nation. That's what will bring honor to them in their memories when they're dead, is that they serve the Lord. And the Lord is glorified through what they did. These days, the politicians want to lay down your lives for their country. But it's not always, it's not always that been that way. There was a day in this nation when the leaders were willing to lay down their lives for the people, for the freedom and prosperity of the rest of the country. And we can return to that. We can return and honor and glory to our nation if we will return, if we will be humble and glorify God, if we will repent and cast our, our sorrow and our and plead for God's mercy. God will grant it. We can restore strength, we can restore prosperity to our land. But it can only be done if the God of glory and the God of strength and the God of blessing, if He is honored as head of our nation and of our nation's leaders. That's why the Bible commands us to pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are in charge of you. That's why our forefathers implored us to elect Christian leaders to office. That's why the church is the only body left in the land that can bring about the change that you can believe in. Because the church is the one who has been charged by God to do that. We have the only answer to our problems. And if our national problems are to be solved, then it's up to the body of Christ to carry out the great commission given to us by our head, Jesus Christ, and to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
and teach them to obey the commands of Christ. I said last week that if you take the church out of government and out of civil society, that society is doomed to crumble and fail. It's happened time and again down through the ages and our only hope as a society and as a nation will be for us to come to repentance as a society and as a nation to find new life as a nation that honors and obeys the Lord. It's not going to be something that we do through policy change or through legislation or through party politics. This is only something that can happen with solid biblical teaching, with constant prayer, and with Holy Spirit revival. That's the only way that our nation can find salvation. And and we aren't just up against a government that has overstepped its bounds. We are up against a cultural mindset, a societal shift in thinking that wants government to take care of them. That wants somebody else to be in charge. That wants somebody else to do all the hard work. And we need to fight that mindset and say we are responsible. We're responsible for our own lives. We're responsible for our families, for our schools, for our churches, for our communities, for our states and for our nation. And for our, We are in charge. We've been put in charge of the world by God to transform it and to take responsibility and have self-control and to live morally and, and not to have somebody else do our thinking for us and make our decisions for us. If we want freedom and if we want liberty, we need to take charge of it in our own lives and to spread that idea around the world. We're going to have to get people to give up some of their free stuff. We're going to have to get people to give up a sense of entitlement. We're going to have to to start taking responsibility for ourselves and our families and our well-being. We're going to have to take charge of teaching the next generation. We're going to take charge of teaching our kids the Bible and, and political science and you know all the things that we need to live by. We're going to teach, need to teach them a work ethic and honesty and grace and kindness and generosity. We are responsible to teach the coming generation how to do that because if we don't, nobody will. It's up to us. To, to teach biblical values of morality and Christian virtue. And that, just, that means we can't just sit around and sing a few hymns and then go have lunch and then get back to life as usual. That means that we are going to have to be disciple makers and we're going to have to do it in a society that would just assume see you fed to the lions on reality TV as to tell them how they should live their lives and that they should obey Jesus. So basically it's going to take some miraculous living. It's going to take some Holy Spirit interaction And wouldn't you know it, we just happen to serve a miracle-working king. So let's get on our knees and let's go to work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you care about our nation. You care about our society. You care about the, the way we live as individuals. And you care about the way we live as countries. And you care about our rulers. And you care about the, the, the laws that we have. And you care about everything we do. And we're so grateful that you were willing to interact with us. Seen in perspective, God, it can seem like we're just this speck in the middle of space with a bunch of beings that don't mean anything. But we do mean something, Lord. And you've given your life because we mean that much to you. And if we mean that much to you as individuals, I know that our households and our schools and our states and our nations mean even more to you that you want us all to come to a saving grace. You want us all to know you. You want us all to be blessed. And I pray that you'd help us to see that and help us to be motivated by that. Help us to be transformed by your love and your grace, God. Help us to serve you well. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.